Hello and welcome to another episode of Eco Power. I hope that you watched the, um, or not watched, but listened to the first podcast of Eco Power because that one's going to kind of give you your overall understanding of how this podcast works. So that way, each individual episode I don't have to re-explain so hopefully whenever if at whatever point you discover this podcast whether it be on this episode or years from now um, hopefully you'll go back and kind of check out some of the older episodes and partic- in particularly the first uh, episode because like I said that one kind of lays the foundation and gives you an idea of what this podcast is about and what it's going to be, but I, uh, I'll give myself a quick introduction, then we'll get started, so you don't have to sit through all this boring stuff. Um, my name is Kevin Emery. I am a podcaster. I have another podcast called Internet Exposition, and that's how I got into podcasting. Um, so I decided I wanted to do a Jack and Dexter lore and things about Jack and Dexter, I guess, discussion podcast, if you will. Um, so I created this podcast. And I also have a YouTube channel, if you want to check that out, unless you're already listening to this on my YouTube channel, uh, which may very well be possible in that case, then definitely check out some of my other videos. Um, And with that being said, let's get started. Um, I always like to start out these podcasts with a trivia question. So the trivia question for today... um, is what is the full name of the Zoomer that Jack and Daxter use in the first Jack and Daxter game? Not Jack 2 or 3, but just the first one. Kira is the one that made it. She calls it a specific name. What's that full name that she refers to it as? If you want to know the answer, and try to try to figure it out and see if you can remember without looking it up or cheating. But if you want to know the answer, um, if you can't think of it, I'll uh, give you the answer at the end of this podcast. So you'll have to stick around to get the answer. So in today's episode, uh, or yesterday's pod, or yesterday's podcast, I, um, last podcast, that was not yesterday, that was like a week ago, uh, last podcast, I talked about the kind of the genesis, uh, giving you an overall viewpoint of what Jack and Daxter is and kind of how the game starts with that first cutscene and in particularly some of the first places you explore. And I also talked about some of the mechanics of mostly of the beginning of the game, but I did give you a little bit of the overall mechanics as well. But in this episode, I wanted to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of things and talk about a little bit more of the lore and a little bit more specifics on the mechanics and things like that. So the first area that you approach in Jack and Daxter uh, that you actually get to play in, that is in-game playthrough, is Geyser Rock. In Geyser Rock, there are 50 uh, precursor orbs. Um, since Geyser Rock kind of acts as your training area, most of these orbs can be found just basically on your trail path as you work your way through uh, Geyser Rock. Um, like I said, they kind of, almost kind of like a um, coins from Mario, if you will. You kind of think of it in that aspect. They kind of lead you on a pathway showing you where to go. Most of the orbs that you find in Geyser Rock are essentially like this but there are some that are scattered on to the sides and corners but you don't have to explore very far to find them now the second item that you discover here are something called um 
power cells. Now, this is your main, um, most important item that you can... This is like your key item of the game. There are 100, or technically 101, in this game that you will find. Um, and if you want to beat the game 100%, you have to find all 100. You don't have to have 101, even though there are 101. But you have to have all 100 in order to beat this game 100%. Now, you don't have to have all 100 to actually beat the game non-100%, like to get just the standard ending, I guess you could call it. You only have to have, technically, you only have to have 72, but you will have more than 72 because there's a couple of missions that come after uh, you get 72. But you only have to have 72 to access the last uh, area, if you will, before you go to the final boss battle. And so they, this is the most important item that you can find in the game. There are four of them on Geyser Rock. The Geyser Rock, most of the power cells, actually all the power cells here, are basically just laying out in the open. Uh, well, three of them are. Uh, the fourth one can be found in these uh, red boxes called Scout Fly Boxes. Uh, there are seven in each area. The reason why these box Scout Flies are trapped in boxes is because Kira trained these Scout Flies particularly to go look for power cells. But the lurkers trapped them into these boxes, so each area you go, there's going to be seven in each area. And if you once you collect all seven from these red boxes, you get another power cell. So that's why I said, you know, all the power cells are basically laying around in this area, except for that one. That's the only one where you actually have to do a little bit of work uh, to actually get the power cell. But the rest of them, as you just progress through the area, you're going to collect the power cells they're basically just laying around but this is the training area so that's why it's like this now um geyser rock um now in game obviously acts as a training area like i said but geyser rock i always wondered and pondered i'm like what exactly is geyser rock for in terms of story mode in terms of lore um, I have a theory on this now. I want to express that most of these theories in this game are, like I said, just that, just theories. These are This is not factual evidence. This is just based all on my opinion and my viewpoint of this series. Um, but Geyser Rock, I think it's quite possible that Geyser Rock could be a place that because uh, you notice there's a warp gate. That's how Jack and Daxter get to Geyser Rock is through the warp gate activated from Samos' hut or any other place that has a warp gate. Um, the re I think one of the reasons why it has a warp gate there is because Samos probably goes here sometimes when he wants some solitude, maybe to meditate or harness eco um, in some way, or channel eco, I guess. Um, so that could be one of the reasons why he has this here, and, and story-wise, why this place exists. Um, evidently, um, this is where he goes to get solitude. Now, once you complete Geyser Rock, the game sends you back to Sandover Village, and this is where you actually get to play, gameplay-wise, in Sandover Village. Because before you got to see it in the cutscene, now you actually get to play there. As you explore uh, Sandover Village, um, you will find that there are 50 precursor orbs here, just like in Geyser Rock. But this time, there are six power cells um, so the number has, uh, has been added by two, an addition of two power cells. Uh, these power cells are a little trickier to get a hold of, though. These aren't ones you're going to be able to get collect all of them right away. You have to access other areas surrounding in order to get all these power cells. So, um, But some of these power cells can be activated um, or 
collected right away. One cool design by Naughty Dog, I think, is since there are 50 precursor orbs in Geyser Rock, and there are 50 precursor orbs in Sandor Village, and in both places these orbs are really easy to get. If you collect them all, you'll have 100. But if you collect even just most of them, you'll have... Most likely you'll have at least 90, which is exactly how many you need to get your first power cell in Sandover Village. Because in Sandover Village, I believe there are two people there that you can access, um, trade 90 orbs for a pre, uh, for a power cell. I, can't, I keep swapping precursor orb and power cell together. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, but the mayor has a power cell that you can trade 90 orbs for. And Jack's uncle, later on renamed as the Explorer for story reasons because of Jack 2. But um, these are the two first ones. So most likely at this point, you're probably going to have at least uh, 90 precursor orbs. And so that's, and that's very smart uh, level design on Naughty Dog's part. Now, from this point of the game, there are two places you can now walk to or you can now access, and that is Sentinel Beach and Forbidden Jungle. Both of these places are accessible. You can go to either one of these places without having to do any extra missions or anything like that. Once you get dropped into Sandover Village, you can feel free to walk to either of these places. The game, I really recommend, though, if this is your first time playing, that you go to Sentinel Beach first. And this is actually what Naughty Dog seems to recommend as well through their get careful level design. Um, Sentinel Beach is a lot closer. It's also a much easier place to collect items there uh, as opposed to Forbidden Jungle, which is a little bit trickier, and it's not as easy to collect power cells there. So once you get into Sentinel Beach, you now have 150 orbs to access, to collect here. So the number has been tripled with the orbs. And you have eight power cells. So again, an additional two power cells. You'll find this very common throughout most parts of the game that in the hub area, being Sandover Village in this place... Uh, will have six power cells, and then the surrounding areas will have eight power cells to collect. But that's not necessarily true for every area, just in most of them. So I thought a little while about this place over the years, and I wondered always why it was called Sentinel Beach. Well, I finally looked up the word Sentinel years ago, and I realized that Sentinel it can mean, I mean, it means multiple things, but it can mean like a, uh, a military police force or a guard of some sort. And I always wondered why this beach was called Sentinel Beach and those towers that you access that you can collect um, power cells from and precursor orbs as well. Uh, seem to be kind of like guard towers or watch towers. It kind of makes me wonder at one time these this seemed to be a beach that was like a um, almost like a if you've ever seen the movie Dunkirk, um, it's almost kind of like a uh, maybe a place where a war or some battles may have taken place um, through and maybe had to be accessed and guarded from these watchtowers, these sentinel towers. Um, there's also a cannon tower uh, that may have possibly been used by somebody, uh, maybe the the uh, precursors possibly, um, you know, and then that brings questions like, well, who were they battling with? Well, if you ever played Jack 3, then you might know why. Um, 
So I, I wonder if the cannon tower was also a form of defense. Um, but it, it is possible that the cannon tower was actually just built by the lurkers themselves because there's also a cannon tower on Misty Island that you will uh, see later um, that was seems to insinuate that the lurkers actually put that cannon there. So it's possible that the, they also put that cannon on the um, Sentinel Beach as well. But it's it's just an interesting theory that Maybe the cannon was already there before they got there, and it was used by someone, maybe the precursors. So after you finish or get most of the items that you want, feel like collecting from Sentinel Beach, you, uh, the only other place you can access at this point, if you don't want to go back to Sentinel, Sentinel Beach, is Forbidden Jungle. In Forbidden Jungle, once you get there, there are also 150 uh, precursor orbs. There are also eight power cells. Now, with this place, though, it's a little bit trickier, like I said earlier. These pra- uh, up, in, up to this point, the first three areas that you explore, quite a few of the power cells, or at least you know a good two or three of them, are just going to be kind of very easy to access. They're going to be easy laying around, like I said, on Geyser Rock. You know, most of the power cells there are just kind of laying around. Uh, same thing with Sentinel Beach. Um, most of the power cells are quite a few of them are just kind of just laying there you don't really have to do any missions per se Um, but that's not the case with forbidden jungle there's really only one power cell that's actually just sitting there and it's not um, easy to see now once you see it it's easy to get to as long as you don't get um, you know eaten by the lurker shark over there but through this little uh, tunnel there you have to go through like this under little neath ground tunnel and then the small little tiny little patch of land there's a, a power cell sitting there and it's not easy to see um, if you walk by very quickly or don't walk into that area at all. So, But that's the only one that's just sitting there. The rest of them you have to op- access some kind of door, you have to do some kind of mission or something to get that power cell. Now, also with the Forbidden Jungle, this is uh, the first place that you will actually come in contact with a boss battle. Now, the boss battle is very easy. You're basically just fighting like this lurker plant thing uh, that's very similar to like a Mario-style boss battle. You have to hit him three times, and each time you basically just dodge his moves while you're waiting for him to become vulnerable so you can go up there and hit him again. And then, like I said, you just do this three times, and then you you win the boss battle. But it's kind of an interesting place uh, since uh, Forbidden Jungle is sort of kind of the hardest place um, that you will access at this point because there is Misty Island, but Misty Island is kind of seems to be designed to access later on. Uh, obviously, once you um, in Forbidden Jungle, you can um, help the uh, fisherman access his uh, boat if you collect 200 pounds of fish for him he'll let you use a speedboat to go to misty island which i found kind of funny it seems like jack and daxter had access to it once before to get to misty island and it's like did did they get permission from the fishermen at one point or did they just steal it and go over there i always kind of wondered that i'm like well they used it before and now all of a sudden they need permission I was like, I always wondered about that. But yeah, if you catch 200 pounds of fish for him, he'll let you use his speedboat to go to Misty Island. But Misty Island kind of seems to be a place that um, is meant to be accessed 
later after you explore some of the later areas in the game because Misty Island is quite a bit harder than uh, Forbidden Jungle is. And for, so it seems like Naughty Dog was intended for you to explore Sentinel Beach and Forbidden Jungle. And this would, exploring these two places and at least getting most of the power cells in these places would give you enough power cells to access the Fire Canyon in order to get you to the next place that you need to go. Now in Forbidden Jungle, there's this place called the Precursor Temple. I've always wondered what's this temple, what this temple was used for. It reminds me of the temple in Jack 2 that they explore when they go into like the uh, area that's kind of close to Haven Forest and you explore um, this temple area, you get these three, one of the artifacts they collect is actually in this temple. Um, and it reminds me of that temple. They look very similar, so it makes me wonder if all over the planet there are precursor temples scattered all over the planet. And so I wonder, what are these temples used for? I'm like, are these, a temple is usually a place you go to pray or meditate to, you know, some kind of a higher being, you know, or God or whatever. And the precursors do seem to be like, like they're supposed to be like creators or higher beings. I don't know if they're necessarily gods, but they definitely seem to be creators. Um, so it's like, it was that a place that people went to pray to the precursors? Or was that a place that was for the precursors? That's where they lived. But then again, why was it called a temple? Uh, but then again, I guess a temple can be a place where the gods or... Um, you know, higher beings could dwell, like, or at least their presence or their spirit. So I guess it's quite possible that the precursors, that could have just been some of the places they've lived back when they were, you know, roaming around the planet. Another interesting theory I came up at one point was maybe this temple was used as another means of for a battle, um, you know, defense mechanism, if you will. Um, in the Precursor Temple, there is a uh, part of the game where you access a kind of like a button, a giant button, I guess, a switch uh, that Kira tells you about, um, that when you access the switch, it actually turns on a blue eco vent in um, Sentinel Beach, which is close to where the Sentinel Towers are, evidently used for some sort of defense mechanism. Um, so it makes me wonder if maybe this was a place that um, the precursors were watching from their base, and then they were using this switch to access this um, some of these um, eco vents on and off whenever they needed them in order to, um, you know, to defend themselves or battle with whomever they were battling with. Um, and so it just kind of makes me wonder, also at the top of the temple, there seems to be some type of um, re beam or reflector of some sort. And it makes me wonder if there was a way that they were able to use that as some sort of telescope to see further out, uh, like I said, to watch for when enemies were coming their way and stuff like that. Um, so it just kind of makes me wonder, like I said, that's just a theory that uh, maybe this temple was also not only used as a place to live or a holding place, uh, but it also could have been a, a, a base for battle or war of some sort, like I said, uh, in order to access some of these switches. Now, the next place you can get to is Misty Island. Like I said, once you get 200 pounds of good fish from 
the fishermen. I did say earlier that Misty Island seems to be a place that you Naughty Dog kind of wanted you to wait, but you if you want to, once you open it up, you can feel free to explore Misty Island. There's nothing prohibiting you, and that's what I love about this game. It's a um, you make your own decisions, uh, decide where you want to go. If you want to wait to go down Fire Canyon, you can. You can go to Misty Island first. Or if you maybe you didn't get enough uh, power cells, maybe you only got like a couple from each place, um, you know, then you might want to go to Misty Island and get a couple more power cells in order to access Fire Canyon. It's up to you. You're the player. You make the decisions. I love that about this game. You don't find that too often in... Um, uh, platforming games most platforming games it's easy even if they're open world there's kind of like a trail or a path or a mission order that the game kind of requires you to follow but that's not really the case here um, you can pretty much go in whatever order you want once you access these areas so a uh, misty i'm um there are also 150 precursor orbs. There are also eight power cells that can be found here. Uh, when you first get to Misty Island, um, you might notice something that looks kind of peculiar. Um, there's this giant bone structure that seems to have died, you know, kind of in an upstanding position. Uh, maybe it just you know, got stuck there, or maybe it just died like that, you know, like some bugs and animals kind of just die in a standing position, so it's possible it could have just died like that of old age or whatever, or maybe something killed it, you don't really know. Naughty Dog obviously wanted to place this here to kind of give you a sense of death and um, eerie and um, eerie feeling kind of... Um, a sense of do not go this way kind of scary feeling. Uh, this area reminds me a lot of the elephant graveyard in uh, The Lion King. It makes me wonder if the, this um, some of the parts of this area was inspired by that uh, movie. But I noticed this um, thing after playing Jack, you know, through the trilogy multiple times. There, Once you get to Jack 2, there are these new enemies that you will discover called the Metalheads. And one of these metalheads are kind of, some of them are smaller. Actually, some of them are really, really small, like bug size almost. And then some of them are huge, like dinosaur size. And one of these big ones, um, shoot, they can shoot beams out of their forehead. You can see them in, it's in Jack 2, but you can also see them in Jack 3. They shoot these giant beams out of their forehead, out of their metalhead forehead there. And they look very similar to this creature that seems to have died on Misty Island. It makes me wonder if this giant creature that died is maybe a metalhead. Now, obviously, when this game was created, the concept of metalheads was most likely not even thought up because of the fact that Jack 2, obviously, most of those concepts and ideas, I think, were thought up after they ended this game. Otherwise, they wouldn't have ended it the way it did. Um, but it's, I like coming up with theories like that because it helps me tie, you know, the first game to the second and third game, uh, a lot closer together than they already are. So I like the concept of the fact that, that maybe this is an old metalhead that, you know, died long ago, ages ago, and now it's just stuck here. There's also another one that you can see, um, when you're riding around on, uh, the zoomer in, uh, the water, 
looking for more. Uh, you're trying. Your main goal there is to knock down the uh, lurkers. Their bo- lurker balloons. But as you ride around, you might notice to the side there's another giant bone structure where some creature of some sort uh, died there. Now this one looks like it may have been a giant lurker of some sort, but it's uh, quite uh, possible that maybe this was a different type of creature. And it, it's interesting or uh, kind of fun for me to uh, say that maybe possibly this could be a metalhead of some sort. Another interesting thing about this area is when you get in, you access this precursor door. Now, this is where the first part of the cutscene where Daxter falls under this pool of dark eco and he gets turned into a Otsil, I mentioned in the first podcast. Um, you go back to this area, you have to get blue eco, and it opens up the precursor door. And there's this giant ring, like... Um, a precursor metal surrounding it all. Like I said, it just it's a giant ring area. And um, you climb up these steps and you can get up to a higher level where this uh, pool or silo of dark eco is um, just kind of sitting there. Um, but in this area, I always wondered, what was this area used for? It evidently must have been built by the precursors. It's precursor metal. So I'm like, what were the precursors using this area for? As I looked around the ring and kind of took a look around, it kind of reminded me of a lot of, of like an arena of some sort. It almost made me wonder if there were like some type of entertainment battles that were taking place here. Maybe the precursors did some sort. I mean, the game never fully establishes exactly what all the precursors did. What 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 were their hobbies? What did they do? You know, did they just sit around all day long? Um, you know, so but it's quite possible that these could have been some arena battle um entertainment battles of some sort um one day when i was exploring through there i looked down and i noticed in the very center if you look in the very center of this little ring area uh you will notice there it looks like there's a type of opening with like some precursor patches of some sort placed on top of them almost like it's holding it shut like it's a door of some sort that leads into the floor um, and it reminds me a lot of the silos that Gaul and Maya open up or try to open up in the, um, well, I think they kind of open them up all the way. It's just that, you know, Jack and Daxter prevails when he g- grabs the light eco at the end of the game. But that's another story for another time. But uh, they open up at the end of the game and they fall into it. Uh, spoiler, <laughs> in case you haven't played the game yet. I'm assuming if you've listened to this podcast, you probably played this game. But um, but sorry if you haven't. I kind of spoiled the ending for you. But um, it reminds me of this silo, and it makes me wonder if this thing was also a silo, at, um, you know, with uh, dark eco or some type of eco rather uh, inside of it, and maybe uh, it was opened and closed at one point, and that's why there's these little latches it looks like that are holding it shut f- to keep it from opening and back up. Um, and this ring around the area, maybe it was something where they rose the eco up for some point or purpose. Um, and then when they didn't need it, they would drain it back into the silo. And that way they could access these doors and stuff. So it makes me wonder if that's what it's for. So the Green Sage Hut area um, is my second favorite area in this game. Um, 
the one of the reasons why this area is so great is because it's just so much fun to just run around in. There's a lot of good flat land. I mean, there's spots you can jump from place to place too, but there's also a lot of areas that are just kind of fat, uh, fat, uh, flat. I mean, <laughs> the, and it makes it a lot of fun to just run around in. And you know, Jack, he's able to do this roll jump thing where he's able to kind of lunge himself forward, and with a lot of this space and flat land, that makes it even more fun to do this um another cool thing about this place it's it's so much fun to run around in and even if you're not really doing any serious missions or doing any serious gameplay or collection um it's a lot of fun to play even as a little kid i remember when i first played this game like i said i think i was about 11 or 12 when i first played it um and i remember how much fun it was to just run around in it reminds me of a uh a interview they did with Insaniac Games, the creators of Spyro the Dragon and the Ratchet and Clank series. They're also good friends with Naughty Dog. Um, when they asked him one time uh, about Spyro the Dragon, and he was like, one of the, his purposes for creating that game is he wanted it to be really fun to just run around in. And uh, he said that was actually one of the main feedbacks he got with the game was people kept telling him it was a lot of fun to just run around, even if you weren't really doing anything. And that's exactly how Jack and Daxter feels to me uh, in this first area, in the Green Sage Hut area and all the areas surrounding how much fun it is. Like I said, you just, you're running back and forth and you're just looking at stuff and so much stuff. It's just a very rich environment. It feels very real, very uh, connected to one another. Another cool thing about Sandover Village is there, um, is the way it connects itself to the surrounding areas. Like I said, there's Sandover Village in the middle and then there are three surrounding areas there's Sentinel Beach, there's Forbidden Jungle, and then Misty Island. These three areas are have direct ties to Sandover Village through three people that you do missions for. The first person you might do a mission for in Sentinel Beach is from the bird lady, essentially her name is, um, where you find this giant flut-flut, which also will come in handy later on in the game. Um, that's the first person that you talk to that you have to do the mission in Sentinel Beach. The second person you talk to would be the mayor, where in order to complete his mission to get his power cell for that mission, you have to go to Forbidden Jungle. The third person you might talk to is the sculptor, where he tells you to go find his muse, and he's pretty sure that she ran off to Misty Island. And so you have to go to Misty Island in order to complete that mission. So it's kind of interesting that there are the three surrounding areas are directly tied to Sandover Village. And again, I think that's just very creative and clever uh, level design uh, by on Naughty Dog's part and how he they just did such a good job tying all these areas together. Another reason why it's one of my favorite places to explore in Jack and Daxter. Um, they don't do it quite as well in the later places. It feels tied together in the later places, but not quite as well as this place. You can tell a lot of time and effort really went into this first part of the game, and for very smart reasons on their part, I would say. Um, because when the first part of the game, it really just pulls you in. Um, another interesting thing is, is like since it is so much fun and it's so easy, I mean, the first part of the game, let's be honest, it's pretty easy, really. 
Um, and even easy enough to where like if you had like a five or six year old that maybe it's their first time ever even playing a video game, even they could have some fun with this first area. Even, like I said, even if they're not doing any real missions or um, collecting really anything in particular, just getting to run around uh, with the character with Jack and Daxter um, is a lot of fun to do, especially for a young child, like I said, and I find that very smart on Naughty Dog's part. It's like it's it's a great game for all ages, I think, um, especially for kids, but for all ages, really, because as you progress through the game, it gets pretty hard, um, but this first part of this game is... It's just so easy and so much fun to just explore, look around, and run around. So I hope you enjoyed some of the lore and mechanic discussion of this podcast. Um, At the end of the podcast, or toward the end of the podcast, I always like to give a shout-out to someone, you know, that's related to Jack and Daxter. Um, My first podcast, I gave a shout-out to Jack, uh, another podcast that um, does on Jack and Daxter called Jack, J-A-K apostrophe D uh, podcast. Um, So I'm going to do another shout-out for them just in case you did uh, miss the first podcast. Like I said, I encourage you to go listen to it, but if you did or you don't have enough time to listen to both, um, I want to give them another shout-out. Um, you know, because if you enjoy this podcast, you'll probably enjoy their podcast as well. Because, like I said, it's it's really great the way they break down some of these levels and they're working their way through the series and talking about uh, some of their stories and um, theories about things. And um, it's uh, I would definitely would recommend to check it out. So now that we hit the end of the podcast, um, do you remember what the trivia question was? The trivia question was, what was the full name of the Zoomer that you get from Kira? She created the Zoomer, and she refers to it by a specific name. What was that full name? Do you know the answer? The answer is the A-Grav Zoomer, uh, short for anti-gravity Zoomer, I'm assuming. Uh, The game doesn't tell you that, but I'm assuming that's what it's for. Uh, But she refers to it as the A-Grav Zoomer. And uh, so, yeah, that's the answer. Were you able to figure it out without without looking it up? I don't know. Let me know uh, either, um, like I said, if you want to get a hold of me. Um, this is the part of the podcast where I kind of just give a shout-out to all my social media. If you want to get a hold of me, maybe about this answer or some details about this podcast in general, you can access me on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. You can DM me on there. Um, the link will be in the description. It's just Kevin W. Emery, I believe. Um, you can also leave a message for me in the description below. Um, there should be a link down there where you can leave a voice message if you want. Uh, and if you leave something, um, that I think I might find interesting or a value about some of the stuff and the lore mechanics and stuff I went over in this podcast, um, your, message might just be added into the next podcast or a future podcast. Hmm. So it might be something you might want to check out. Also, some of my other social media, like I said, I also do another podcast called uh, Internet Exposition. I'll leave a link in the description for that as well if you want to check it out. Um, That one is quite a bit different than this one. This one is a lot more presentational. You know, it's about this video game series. Uh, But that one is more about internet culture, and it's supposed to feel kind of like a live um, 
radio talk show, even though it's not live. I, it's actually pre-recorded, but it's supposed to kind of feel that way. Um, so it's a different style of podcast. But if you're interested in memes and YouTube and, uh, you know, Twitch and things about the Internet, then it might just be a podcast you might want to consider checking out. Because, like I said, I do tons of discussion on stuff like that. Just know that the structure of the podcast is a little bit different than this one. Um, also, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, uh, I uh, have that as well. Actually, I have two YouTube channels. My main YouTube channel is just Kevin Emery. I do ch- mostly challenges on there, but I also sometimes will do skits and stuff like that. And there are also some Jack and Daxter videos, um, some older ones. Now, they're not very good, I'll warn you. Um, some old Jack and Daxter videos on there that I do some theories and stuff like that on there. If you want to check those out, uh, just know that they're not done very well. These podcasts are done much better, I think. My second YouTube channel is a gaming channel. It's just Kevin Emery Gaming. Um, I do. I haven't done any gameplay on Jack and Daxter, so don't think that you're going to go there and see Jack and Daxter gameplay. But maybe I will one day. I don't have any plans for it right now, but um, but maybe one day I will. Um, but I do have some interesting gameplay on there. Like I said, I have, I don't have a whole lot of videos on there. The only reason why I don't recommend this channel too often, and I may not recommend it every single podcast is because I don't upload very often on that channel. It's something I really need to get on the ball with. It's, I've got to start making more videos for that channel, but I'm just bad about, like I said, not uploading often enough on there. And, um, so you you know if you subscribe to that channel just know it may be several months before you even see a video on there but if you it might be something you want to check out but anyway i hope you enjoyed the podcast um so definitely look forward i don't have an upload schedule for this podcast like i said with my internet exposition that's a daily show so i upload every monday through friday but with this one it's just kind of like whenever i get an idea that i want to talk about with this podcast so sometimes i may go through spells where i don't really have much to talk about or much to say um so there may be times where it may go by for a few months and nothing will be uploaded but there also may be times where i'll be doing a lot of uploading probably a lot of uploading at first because Uh, since it's a brand new podcast, I'm going to have a lot to say, but hopefully you enjoyed it and you'll be willing to subscribe, uh, whatever, wherever you're listening to this podcast on, whether it be YouTube or, um, you know, another podcast app of Google podcast or whatever. Um, hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you did make sure to stay tuned for the next podcast, I am Kevin Emery. This is eco power and I'm out.